Many of you know we, we run uh, the Leadership Academy here, and we have uh, about 15 full-time degree students doing their bachelor's degree here. And so I thought it'd be a great idea if we let some of them loose on you. So is that okay? Would you, would you like them to be set loose? So we have three. You're going to get a me uh, one message with three people. Is that okay? So we've got Ben, and we've got Judith, and we've got Becky, who are going to bring the word today. So why don't we honor these guys by giving them a round of applause, shall we? It's nice to be up here because we actually usually sit over there so we more see the back of your heads and actually to see all your faces. It's really nice. You look good this morning. I really believe that God has a message for all of us this morning. So I really want to pray and you know the one thing is that what we speak but the other thing is is your heart open to receive from what God wants to say personally to you this morning. So I believe while we're speaking he's actually going to speak right into your heart and right into your lives. So if you just agree with me and you want to receive from God, why don't you just close your eyes and if you want to hold up your hands just to him. Dear Father, I really want to honor you this morning in this place. I want to honor your presence here. I thank you that you're here with us right now. And I just pray that you prepare our hearts and that you make our hearts ready for everything that you have to say to us this morning. I pray that you will come with your life this morning. Awake us back to life. I thank you that you are faithful, God. Amen. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. And if we can have it up on the screen as well. I'm going to give you an extra few seconds because I know that book is quite hard to find. It's not the usual book we open up in the morning. So Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. And I'm reading from the NIV version. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And when I was reading through those verses um, a couple of weeks ago again, I was thinking, whoever wrote those verses must be someone who really knows who God is and someone who really trusts in God. But for any one of you who has read the rest of this book, you were probably quite relieved that we chose those verses and not any of the other ones. Because there's a reason why this book is called Lamentations, which comes from the Latin word for tears. This is the book of tears. And I'm just going to read quickly two other verses to you from that book so that you get an idea and a feel for the rest of the book. So in the first chapter, we read, and this talks about Israel. Bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. And in the next chapter, we read, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. So when I was reading those verses, I thought they're pretty strong words, aren't they? The Lord has become our enemy. Those verses don't really seem comforting. They don't really seem to resonate with the verses I read in the beginning where it says our God is faithful. 
So to see how those verses link together, we have to have a look at the bigger picture, at the story behind this book. And this book is talking about God's chosen people, the Israelites. And if you read in the Bible, you see the Israelites going through circles. They're going through circles of nearly being defeated, and then they're crying out to God, and God comes to their rescue. And we see that over and over again in the Bible. But in this story, it was different. So the Israelites were disobedient to the word of God. They were disobedient to his covenant. And what God did in his gracious way was he was sending one prophet after the next prophet after the next prophet and said to them, stop, repent. And we know what that means, to turn, to turn our way back to, to a way of God and back to a way that leads to life. And one of those prophets that God sent was Jeremiah. Many of us know him. And, and um, yeah, he's also the one who wrote that book. And he as well came and, and preached and said, stop what you're doing and repent, turn back to God. But the people were not listening. And what happened then, I want to try to explain to you with the help of an analogy. So you can all picture a house with walls and a roof on top. And in that house, there are people and they start hammering down those walls and they start tearing down those walls. And then God comes and says, stop. Don't do that, or the roof is going to come down. But the people weren't listening, and they kept hammering down those walls. And God comes again and says, stop, and the people are not listening. And guess what happened eventually? The roof came down, and they were sitting in a pretty big mess. And that's the mess that Israel was in at that time. They were sent into exile, they lost the holy city, Jerusalem. Their temple was destroyed. And you have to picture that. We often talk about the holies of holies, of the place where the manifest presence of God dwells. And the Israelites believed that whoever would, if any of the enemies would go into the holies of holies, they would just fall dead to the ground. But this time, the enemies just went straight in and destroyed everything. Where was God? Did their God forsake them? Suddenly, this whole nation was in such a hopelessness. There was no hope. There seemed to be no future for them. They were at their lowest point. And that's the time when Jeremiah came and wrote that book. And he was expressing all the pain they had. He was expressing, it was basically like a cry of that nation. That book. And still, in between all that pain, in the middle piece, the basically the hard piece of this whole book, Lamentation, we read those very, very positive words from the beginning. So let's have a look back at verse 21 to see what has happened there. And it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So that's the way how Jeremiah is, is introducing the next verses. He has an attitude of hope in his heart. And when you look at the Hebrew word that's written there, it actually um, expresses to wait, to hope, and to expect. And that reminded me of a family Christmas tradition that we have. Anyone else in this room loves Christmas? One, two people? 
happy more, good. Christmas is coming soon. So we have this family tradition where ever since I was really little, I'm still short, but when I was really little, little, my dad would come up to me and my brother and would say, you will be so excited, you will be so excited. And he was referring to the presents that me and my brother would get on Christmas. And he would, do, he would say that over and over again, day after day, all the time leading up to Christmas. And it would almost drive me crazy because I wanted to know what presents I would get on Christmas. So I was waiting for something. I was hoping for something, pretty confidently hoping, I must say. It's not one of those, oh, I hope it's good weather tomorrow. No, I was hoping for amazing presents. And I was expecting something because even though I did not know yet what I would get, I knew my parents and I knew their love for me and I knew that they would not disappoint me. I knew that I could trust in them. But also as a little girl, I had those Christmas Advent um, chocolate calendars. Do you know the ones with all those little doors? And you also pretty quickly learn as a little girl. On the first day, you can open up all those little doors, eat all the chocolate, which I've obviously never done, but you could. But still, Christmas won't come any faster. You have to wait. Okay, so that's an attitude of you have to wait but you can be hoping and you're expecting for something. And that's what Jeremiah is talking of here. And then let's have a look at the next verse, verse 22. He says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Well, depending on your translation, Bible translation, it might say great love or steadfast love or mercies. Or I think even here it says loving kindness. And any one of you who speaks more than one language, you know how hard it sometimes can be to be good translate one word. And again, here in this, in the, at this point, when we have a deeper look at the meaning of this word, we actually see that it expresses a love that is in action and ex expresses a bond between two parties. So in most cases, actually, when the Bible is using this word, it's speaking of God's attitude towards his covenant people. So it's God's love and action to his covenant people. And he's saying they're not consumed. There's no end to it. And his compassions never fail. And again, the word compassions in the Hebrew is closely related to the word for a womb, for a mother's womb. So in the midst of the biggest chaos and the biggest disaster Israel was in, Jeremiah is actually saying, God is here and God is with us. And even though they thought, oh, maybe our covenant with God is is destroyed, he has forsaken us. He's saying, no, God still is this love and action, has this love and action towards his covenant people. We're still his covenant people, and he has compassions on us like a mother would have on their child. And how often, in verse 23, it says, his compassions are new every morning. So his compassions are there again and again and again because he is faithful. So what Jeremiah is actually doing in this moment, he's taking us away from, from looking at the situation Israel was in. And he's making Israel look at who God is. And he's saying who God is, that's what we are waiting for. That's what we can hope in. And that's what we expect for in the midst of the situation we're in. So that's the story of Israel. But there might be situations and things in your life at the moment where you almost seem consumed by and where you really need to know who God is 
So Ben is going to come up now and he's going to talk a little bit more on that. Thank you, Judith. Um, there are times, aren't there, where we can start to feel like God has forsaken us. Sorry, I've got a little bit of a croaky voice. I'm not very well at the moment, um, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. Um, but yeah, there are times where we, f- we don't feel great, where we feel pretty rubbish, if we're honest. And I was reading Lamentations 1 earlier this week, and it reads, I called to my allies and they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city um, while, they were ser- while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, O oh Lord, I am at torment within. In my heart, and in my heart, I have been disturbed. And there are times where, if we're honest, we start to feel like this. Um, and I'm going to tell tell you about a story for me where actually I felt like this, and I felt a little bit angry with God. I was upset with God, and I didn't know what was happening. Um, and it started about four or five years ago when I was 16. Um, I just got back from a mission trip to Nepal. Um, we'd been out there with my family. We've got an orphanage out there that we support. And we'd been doing some ministry stuff over there. And we came back. Um, and my mum was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Um, it was an inoperable brain tumour. Um, and as a family, we, could, we believed that she would be healed. Um, and we trusted in God in that. And we started this journey where she decided not to go on chemotherapy. She wanted to, um, because, because it was inoperable, she didn't think it was the wisest choice. Um, and she just wanted to live out the rest of her days if she was going to die in the best way that she could. So she decided not to go on that. She didn't take radiotherapy. And she just went on medication for these fits that she kept on having. Um, and so we journeyed with her for about two years with this. And we went down this road where she was on from tablets to tablets to tablets. Some tablets she couldn't sleep. Some tablets she couldn't be awake or she'd be awake all night. Um, some tablets she'd sleep all day. Um, but then the doctors put her on some tablets that sent her insane. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you've met an insane person, it's not nice. So I would come home to my mum sometimes and from school. Um, I was in sixth form and she would tell me to take my sister and run to a cave because she didn't want to see me again because I'd ruin her life. I would come home to my mum telling me that she was the Antichrist. Um, and I don't know about you, but you start to question God's goodness when situations like this happen. You start to say, God, in your word, it says you are good. It says you are faithful. But I'm not seeing this. Then two weeks after my 18th birthday, I'd been out with my friends and I came home one night. Um, and I went upstairs. And I had to make a call that I didn't want to make. I had to phone 999 at first to what I thought was a big fit. But then as I'm saying the word fit, my dad turns around and says, no, Ben, it's suicide. She'd talked about it before. She'd said she didn't want to live anymore. And it's something that I'd wish no one else had to make that phone call at 18. And I started to say to God, You say you are faithful, but I don't see it. You say you are good, but this isn't good. And you start to question God, and you start to say, are you really there? 
And so I went then on through another two years of my life where I destroyed every friendship I had. I ruined all my relationships. I lost all my best friends because I didn't like people. I didn't like my life. And I felt like God had forsaken me. And do you know what? I started to think, what, what do I do? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I've been a good kid. I haven't done anything wrong. I was the good kid at school. I haven't done anything wrong. Why me? And if I'm honest, I was angry at God. I was really angry with him because of that. But I just want to say, actually, when we're in these situations, it can be okay to show grief. Jesus was upset and in pain when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it is okay to show that, but in the way I was showing it, I didn't like it. I didn't like myself at that time. Because you know that these troubles would um, bring you faith, and in that faith you'll have patience. It says that in James. And there are times when actually that's what it feels like. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't see how this trial or this trouble is going to bring you patience. And in questioning God's character, I said I questioned whether he was faithful, whether he was steadfast, whether he really was love. And then there comes a point in our lives when things start to change. You read the Lamentations 21 to 24, yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I remember a point in my life when I was, I was in Toronto. I'd done the school of ministry. Um, it was just after Christmas. And everything that I'd squashed down in the pain that I'd felt, all of this pain that I had, God hit a trigger and it released. Um, and I couldn't be in a room on my own. I mean, I was a wreck a complete and utter wreck. I was having panic attacks. I was shaking. I wanted to end my life at that point. Um, and my parents, had to, or my dad and sister, had to come over for Christmas because I, I was just in absolute state. But there was one evening when we'd come back, and we, me and my dad went out for dinner, um, and I just got really, really angry and upset. And I started to sob and, wow, and beat the dashboard in the car. And we went back to church that evening, um, and I was sobbing, I was hitting the floor, and suddenly something changed. Just like these verses in this chapter, something changed in my life, and I've never felt more loved than in that situation. I've never felt God was more faithful, that he was more steadfast. In, in, in any other time in my life than in that. And these verses are the linchpin in this chapter where we go from seeing the Israelites in a situation of hopelessness to a situation of being hopeful and confident in the hope that they would come through. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. And for me, this was that point where I went from this hopelessness to this confident hope that God was good, that he is steadfast, and that his love never fails. And I want to say it was a quick journey. I want to say it was a short journey, but kind of everything happened really quickly, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. It took another six months, and at times I felt rubbish again. More often than not, I'd feel rubbish. 
But I started to believe that God was faithful, he was steadfast, and that his love never failed. And when you're in those situations, I will tell you now, God is faithful, he is steadfast, and his love never fails. Um, so I started to feel like that. I started to feel better. But the even more amazing thing about this is that I was angry at God. I was upset with God, and still he was faithful, still he was steadfast. And I looked to Peter in the Bible where he turned away from God, and God was still faithful to him. And he says, on this rock I will build my church. And that's what he did, and that's what I take encouragement from, from that even though I was angry with God, even though I was upset with him, he was still faithful, and I look at Peter and see that. But the even greater thing about it is, um, a year and a half ago, my dad got remarried. Um, and uh, you'd think, oh, that's hard. And a lot of people would come up to me and say, Ben, how are you doing with this? How are you doing? And I had the honor of being his best man, um, which <laughs> is incredible. Um, and I had the honor standing up there and I could only get three words or three or four words out of my mouth and I said dad you know what I'm so proud to be your son <laughs> and that was it and there will be trouble in this world Jesus said it he says in John I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there are ways that we can overcome these situations. And Becky's going to come and talk to us now about different ways that we can overcome situations that we face in our lives. Wow, thank you so much, Ben to sit there and hold it all together. <laughs> um, so in this third and final part of the morning, uh, we've already looked at the history behind uh, God's people in Lamentations, the kind of disaster that they were facing. We've heard Ben's amazing testimony. And um, yeah, while we were praying and preparing for this morning, one thing that really stood out to us was this amazing theme of hope, that even in the midst of this incredible darkness and disaster, that there is always hope. So I would like to conclude this morning by questioning, just really briefly, what exactly is hope? Why should we hope in God? And how do we have this hope in our everyday lives? So firstly, what is hope? So Judith mentioned earlier the definition of hope, to wait expectantly. Much like the word love, we use the word hope a lot in our everyday language. I hope you have a really nice day, like Judith said, I hope the weather is really good, but God's people in Lamentations and also looking at Ben's testimony, you would have thought they would have needed a hope that looked a little bit different to the hope that was in them today. Any glance at the rest of the book of Lamentations will tell you that they certainly didn't deny their feelings in their hope in God. They actually came to him in, um, in some of the verses we heard earlier. They had a lot of anguish, a lot of pain that they came to God with very honestly. Yet at the same time, there was something in these verses which is really amazing, which is that despite the, the anguish and the pain that they felt, they really knew the God that they were coming to. See, this particular hope that the people of Lamentations had was an anchor for the soul. It was something really profound. It was something really deep. 
and it's something that comes from knowing and trusting God and the waiting. It's the kind of hope that's so deeply rooted in God that actually we feel so safe to hope for him, that it's the kind of hope that our circumstances and our emotions can't really reach. It's something quite inexplicable. So why God? Well, we have the amazing privilege of reading Lamentations now, knowing and appreciating the faith that they had, because we've seen God come through. We've seen the end of the story. We know that God sent his son Jesus to die for us and that he is now the ultimate hope. And isn't that amazing that we can now share in the joy and the hope that they had all of those years ago? Wouldn't it be amazing to have that kind of belief and have that kind of faith that even though we don't see what's in the future, that we trust in God and that we know who he is, that we know his goodness. See, God's son Jesus for us was the ultimate expression of God's amazing faithful character of his love of his compassion for us see even though we can't see the end result of our lives and sometimes of our situations it's amazing that we can put our trust and our hope and our faith in God anyway so lastly how do we choose this kind of hope how do we become a hopeful person how do we become a hopeful people well I was thinking about this and I was thinking how in normal everyday life, I really trust the people that I know well. I really trust the people that um, that I feel safe around, that I love and that I know. And yeah, at this point, I just want to add that the next few points I'm about to say um, aren't points that will give you a difficulty-free life and they're not, they're not points that will make you feel positive every single morning when you wake up. But um, just in my humble experiences in life, and I've had a particularly challenging year as well, this is what I've really learned about hope. This is what I've learned about getting to know God and getting to trust him. So point number one. Feels like a real sermon now. <laughs> Exciting. Point number one. <laughs> um, pursue intimacy with God in prayer, in worship, at home, in the car. Get to know him. The more that you know him, the more that you will realize how much he loves you, the more that you'll get to know how he knows you. And it kind of becomes impossible not to trust him. <laughs> He's an absolutely amazing God. And the, the more you spend time with him, the more you'll find the Holy Spirit renewing your mind. When God speaks to us, he's such a creative God. He doesn't just want to tell us things, but he wants to make us into someone. His words make us into hopeful people, and they will make us into a hopeful person. He's making us more like Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to trust God despite not knowing what is ahead, despite the pain that he faced. Now at this point, I just want to say that if you're here and you're feeling kind of hopeless this morning, that sometimes the most difficult thing about that situation is that we can feel that God is distant or we feel like he's hard to hear. We feel like it's difficult to listen to him if we're not even sure that he's there. But I just want to encourage you this morning to be faithful in pursuing God, even when you don't feel like it. I promise that we will honour that he is a good and faithful God as we have seen this morning. Point number two. Feed yourselves with goodness. Let's feed our minds and our hearts and our ears with good, healthy food, just like we would feed our bodies with good and healthy food. Whether that is listening to good music, whether that is listening to sermons instead of switching the TV on, all of these things can help to shift our perspective from being consumed by our own thoughts and emotions 
And suddenly when we have this revelation of how big God is and quite how good he is, we realize that we're not drowning in an ocean. We're still in a puddle compared to him. Um, that was quite a good sermon analogy. That just came out. I need to write that down. <laughs> um, so even, <laughs> even when we can't change our situations, we can change our attitudes. Point number three. Surround yourself with really great friendships. Surround yourself with good friends, with good family. Um, I heard recently uh, from lovely Megan, who was sat around somewhere, that um, it's good to turn the volume up of people who are really positive in your life, of people who you know are pursuing God as well and who are faithful to their walk with God. I, um, I did a little bit of research into this and found an amazing psychological study that actually backs all of this up. So I don't know if you know, but when we hug people, this hormone is released. The same hormone is released when we find ourselves in distress. Now this hormone makes us want to go to people who can support us and who we can help through the same things. It literally makes us want to be in community. Isn't that amazing that our bodies are literally designed to, to be in community and to, to support each other, to love each other? And that also makes me think about, wow, what does that mean for our relationship with God? If we're in a time of distress, our bodies literally release a hormone that says, I want to go to someone that I love and that I trust. If that person is God, then um, we've got it pretty good. So we have learned this morning that God has defined himself as a faithful God. And as God's people, we are designed to be a hopeful people. We're most alive and we're most ourselves when we are a hopeful person. I think, too, that that hope that we have really draws people to us, that God has designed us to be a hopeful people, not just to overcome our own circumstances, but people see something of the hope that is inside of you and they're attracted to that. There is so much chaos in this world, and the fact that we could confidently hope in someone and something is amazing. Romans 5, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And that hope will never put us to shame. So to pick up on Robert's analogy one more time, if we are waiting for the presence of God, then I've got really good news for you. That the joy and the peace that maybe you feel like you're lacking right now um, is available to you right now. There is such an incredible joy and a peace and a lightness that comes from just knowing God and from trusting him. The amazing thing about hope is that it always was, it always is, and it always will be, because God always is, was, and will be. He will always be faithful. There will never not be hope. There is hope for every single person here, and I encourage you to choose it today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him. So whatever situation you find yourself today, there is nothing too dark. There is nothing too consuming, no emotion, too overwhelming, no matter how long you feel like you might have been battling or with God or wrestling or waiting or patiently walking. God will not leave you. He is the one that is rich in compassion and in faithfulness. 